Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee Greenest state in the land of the free Raised in the woods so he knew every tree Killed him a bar when he was only three Davy, Davy Crockett she uses to color her hair must have gone to her brain. Miss, would you mind telling me what... Ah! What's going on? Ah! Well... Well, I'll be. Anthony, what is it? Everything's all right now. That nitwit girl frighten you? Huh? <laughs> They're not dead. John! John! Yes, sir. John, they're not dead. Yes, sir. I, I know, sir. Cordelia is George. Welcome, everyone, to what promises to be a different kind of episode. This is Be Kind Rewind, your Disney Plus movie podcast. I, of course, am Dan Teets, and we are joined with a lady from the middle of the country. Kind of and- Sorry, I'm just like, do I say my name now? <laughs> yes, you say your name. You can say your name whenever you want to. How about oh, we do that? Like Denny Crane on Boston Legal. <laughs> Denny Crane. <laughs> yes. So we, we are discussing a bad movie in our, in both of our opinions. Or does that make it a good movie if it's that bad? No. It's not, like, okay, Twister is a great movie, but it's also a bad movie. This is not in that realm of so bad that it's good. All right, I'm going to have to stop you. We haven't even gotten into the actual movie. Why why are you saying that Twister is a bad movie? That is, like, one of my favorite movies. Oh, listen, if we can do an episode on Twister, I totally would, because it is, I love that movie so much, but, like, it's, so much of it is unrealistic, and um... oh, okay, okay, I got you. Since you live, since you live in Tornado Alley, you kind of can say this wasn't real. The like the part at the very end definitely wasn't real because they would have been sucked up into the tornado, but then we wouldn't have an ending to the movie where they're yeah. kissing and everything like that. Yeah, and like the Melissa character is an idiot, and Joe's dad at the beginning is an idiot, like. I love that movie, but and I'll watch it every time it's on. And if I get tired of commercials, I own it in three formats. So wow. However, but I also love to rip it apart while I'm watching it. Yeah, I think one of I it was the first movie that I actually saw my sophomore year in college. So I mean, we're talking twenty eight years ago, twenty like yeah, twenty seven, yeah. twenty eight years ago. 
It came out in 1996, so okay, 26. Well, okay, well, then it wasn't my sophomore year. It was my junior year, but it was me, Icky was there, the third friend that we hardly ever talk about or talk to anymore was there. All of... There was like a bunch of like 10 or 11 of us that went down to the movies that night. And it's the dollar movie that we talk about on several other podcasts. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it it was the fact that it was the group of us together was what actually made it good. And then they ran it on like a drive-in theater that didn't have cars. It was a carless drive-in at the at the college that same year so we all got back together and watched it again and i mean yeah i'm with you it's not the most scientifically sound movie or maybe it is because you you live out in that in that part of the country and you see twisters probably more than well definitely more than i do because i think i've seen zero in my 47 years of life but Uh, i I, sorry no Go ahead. Um, well, there's like some continuity errors that are hilarious um, that make it better. <laughs> like they make it worse, but they make it better. <laughs> and um, as far as the science, like I think some of it lines up, but um, I do know that they, like all of the news, like weather forecasting clips that they show throughout the movie are real um, meteorologists from Oklahoma City. Hmm. And um, so that's that's pretty fun. And they used like some archive footage of one or two of them. And so, yeah, that part's that part's great. But um, I don't know. I love it. It's terrible. It (laughs) holds a special place in my heart um, for nostalgia. They like we're not here to talk about Twister, but um, they took us to see it in the theater on a field trip when I was in the seventh grade. So you uh, and your movies at school, it, it yeah. trips me out here because <laughs> I think this is a third or fourth movie that you've actually said something. Like. Yeah, we watched a lot of movies, but like, <laughs> you know, I love my my hometown school system um, and the people who are here. But um, Oklahoma does rank last in education consistently. Um, we watched a lot of movies when I was in school. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but they did take us to see it in the theater, um, 207th graders. I don't know that anyone pre-screened it because it was full of swears and things that I wouldn't want my 11 year old to watch. Although she's seen it cause I watch it so much, <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, yeah, it's, it's special to me, but it's also, uh, so bad that it's good. Okay. I got you. I'm, but yeah, like you said, we are not here to talk about Twister, although that would be a much better movie than the one we are talking about, as you could tell, because we've already been bantering for six minutes to put <laughs> off the inevitable. We are actually here to talk about the, let me get it up here, November 30th, 1967 release known as the happiest millionaire this movie made five million dollars which i absolutely have no idea how it made five million dollars unless people were going because of the reason that we'll talk about later on but as uh 42 million in today's money not bad not good very 
underwhelming, would not be a blockbuster by any chance of the imagination. Um, and it's another one that neither of us had even heard of, and I think there's a very good reason for that. They should be trying to bury this with those Callaways, <laughs> honestly. Well, like... I mean, yes, but considering they've successfully buried one movie in their entire 70-plus year lineage, and you can still see it in certain parts of the park. At Disney World, of course, I'm talking about that being Song of the South, which mm -hmm. if you want to know the opinions on that, go back and listen to either the Old School Saturday or the original. Be my guest. It's well worth your listen, well worth your hour and 20 minutes of sitting there and hear Icky and me pull it apart. But yeah, I, I don't know why they kept this one out there. Although, if you haven't heard of it, it's kind of a throwaway movie, especially when you start to watch it. Yeah. I mean, like, save yourself the three hours, or two hours and 49 minutes, and um, go outside, or watch Twister twice. <laughs> or, go watch Avatar. I'm sure it's a whole lot better movie, with a lot more ethnically diverse people in it. I will say, um, I didn't think I had very much positive to say about this movie, but I would watch it again before I would watch those Callaways again. <laughs> and, um, oh there's, there's not like a raging alcoholic in this movie. No. A really eccentric dude. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. So, the synopsis which comes to us, as always, care of Wikipedia, goes a little something like this. In the autumn of 1916, Irish immigrant John Lawless has applied for a butler position with eccentric millionaire Anthony J. Drexel Biddle. Even though the family is a bit strange, Lawless soon learns that he fits right in. Mr. Biddle takes a liking to him immediately. Mr. Biddle busies himself with his Biddle Boxing and Bible Club, which is located in his stable, and with his alligators in the conservatory. He is also anxious to get America into the war in Europe, despite the government's policy of neutrality. His wife, Cordelia, stands quietly by, accepting his eccentricities with a sense of pride and class. Their two sons, Tony and Livingston, are headed off to a boarding school not to be seen again. Their daughter, Cordy, is a tomboy with a mean right hook who is educated by private tutors and has limited contact with conventional society. She is frustrated by her apparent inability to attract suitors and wants to see what is beyond the Biddle Manor. Mr. Biddle reluctantly lets Cordy go to a boarding school as well after some prodding from both Cordy and from his Aunt Mary. Cordy's roommate teaches her how to lure men with feminine wiles, and at a social dance hosted by her aunt and uncle, Cordy meets Angier Buchanan Duke, and they fall in love. He tells Cordy that he is fascinated with the invention of the automobile and wants to head to Detroit, Michigan to make his fortune there instead of taking over his family's tobacco business. That winter, Cordy comes back to her parents' home and tells them that he that she is engaged. At first, this is a di difficult thing for Mr. Biddle to take. 
he does not want to give up his little girl. But after meeting Angie and witnessing firsthand his jiu-jitsu fighting style, Mr. Biddle takes a liking to him and accepts the engagement. Then Cordy travels with Angie to New York City to meet his mother. Soon the Biddles and the Dukes are making arrangements for a very grand wedding. It is now the spring of 1917, and constant condescending comments from Angie's mother angers Cordy. To make matters worse, their family's elaborate planning for the social event of the season makes both Cordy and Angie feel pushed aside. The tension reaches a climax when Cordy learns that Angie has abandoned his plans for Detroit and is instead taking his place in the family business following his mother's wishes. Cordy angrily calls off the wedding, thinking of Angie as a mommer's and Angie storms out of the house. Both families are instantly in a tremendous state of and both families are instantly in a tremendous state of of upheaval and Mr. Biddle sends John Lawless to look after Angie. John finds Angie in the local tavern, contemplating what he will do next, and tries to convince Angie to go back to Cordy. However, Angie is stubborn and thinks of other ways to deal with his problems, among other things saying that he wants to go join the Foreign Legion. Angie unwittingly starts a bar fight with little help from John and is hauled off to jail. The next morning, Mr. Biddle comes to bail Angie out. He tells Angie that he has to forget about his own dreams and accept his place in the family business. His words have the desired effect, inspiring Angie to defy his mother and elope with Cordy and go to Detroit. Cordy, however, believes her father talked Angie into it, so to, pr- to prove his sincerity, amid the cheering of his cellmates, Angie throws Cordy over his shoulder and carries her out of the jailhouse to start their life together. After Mr. Bid- Mr. and Mrs. Biddle return home, a delegation of Marines arrive to inform him that he has been made a provisional captain in the Marine Corps and is wanted immediately to go to Paris Island to continue training the recruits now that America is finally entering the war. Mr. Biddle accepts with delight and the hearty congratulations of his suddenly appearing Biddle boxing class and my dog. A car with two people, presumably Cordy and Angie, drive into the city skyline of presumably Detroit, dominated by factories clouding the sky at sunset. The end. So, you know what the movie is about now. Is now that you've watched the movie, experienced the two hours and 49 minutes, which is my first note on my, on my notes, this could have been maybe an hour and 30 minutes, an hour and 40 minutes. Oh, for sure. Easy. But I don't know if the reason why was because it was actually Walt Disney's last movie that he was actually involved with. And, yeah, it says, according to Wikipedia, and we all know that Wikipedia never lies, this film was the last live-action musical, which might be part of the reason why it was two hours and 49 minutes, that Walt Disney produced prior to his death. And I'm just going to go ahead and, and say I like some musicals. I like musicals when they sing because it has a purpose. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not a fan of, okay, well, we're going to get to this point, and then suddenly character A is going to open up in song, like Lawless did 38 seconds into the movie. And Actually, um, it wasn't 38 seconds into the movie, because you get two and a half minutes of a title card with music, yes. and then five minutes of still images like art with the score. And so you did like the movie doesn't even start until five minutes and 10 seconds in. I did write that down. Cause I could not. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you how bad that is. When this started and I just heard music with nothing going on. I've got, I watch all of my stuff on a fire stick and sometimes the picture freezes <laughs> and you just hear if it's if you're watching a TV show, you hear the people talking, but it's just a static image. I literally thought that the movie had frozen, <laughs> and the music was going on. So I back out. I shut down the fire stick, bring it back up, restart it, and then... <laughs> I'm like, oh no, this is actually the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm not listening to a title card theme song. And so I fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, and then actually get to the proper introduction of this is actually the extended version of the movie. Mm -hmm. which... Yeah, I, I read that there were like several different length versions of it that were released. Like the one initially was like 144 minutes and then there was 118 minutes and i'm like that's the one i want to watch yeah it was well there was two premiere editions the one that was in la because they're pretentious so they have to have longer things was 164 then the new york premiere because they're in new york was 144 and then you had the general release which was 118 which I mean, that's just under two hours. That would have been perfectly good, fine, proper. Well, it all depends on what they cut out and what they actually left in as to whether or not the 118 would have been okay. But then we get the director's cut, which is 172. And, oh, my sweet Lord in heaven above. Of course, you start with five minutes of... Nothing at all but title card. And I actually, I fast forwarded. I'm like, I'm not listening to the, the theme music for three minutes and then see the title card and then you got another three minutes. Yeah. It it was two and a half minutes before it even said a Walt Disney production. Yeah. And that was why I was like, all right, is there something wrong with my fire stick? That is... <laughs> So, yeah, we we got the Sherman Brothers, who, of course, did Mary Poppins. And I guess Walt Disney was trying to capture um, magic in a bottle, and you can't do that more than once every 50 years, because it wasn't like 50 years later when Mary Poppins Returns came out. Something like that. Okay. The problem is, like, there's no magic in this movie. Like, there's there's not even any real joy in it. <laughs> Oh, you, goodness. We So you get like five minutes and ten seconds of credits, basically. And then here comes, uh, I've already forgotten the name, John something or other, the butler. 
John Lawless. Yes, and he, he sings for like 10 minutes. Uh, a song that is a made-up word that makes no sense, and it's annoying. That song was so bad. Well, and once again, I'm thinking it's because they had the Sherman Brothers doing the music. And they had supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And they had all these songs with made-up words in Mary Poppins. And they figured if it worked once, why not go ahead and try it again? Or that's what I'm thinking. I might be totally off the... I think that's a good inference to make. But Fortuosity does not have the same ring to it as supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. So you haven't introduced fortuosity into your language? No. Are you going to? I tried to, like, because I wasn't certain that it was actually a made-up word, I tried to use it in the game Semantle, which is like Wordle, but it's like how similar words are, and you're trying to, like, guess the secret word. And I tried to use it in that, and, and the game was like, I don't know that word. It's like, oh, I guess it really is made up. Yes, so John Lawless shows up, starts singing to us, and immediately they're like, I'm just like, who is this guy? Why is he singing at me? Why is he talking directly to me like he knows me and I'm his best friend from Ireland? Scotland? Ireland? Somewhere over the pond. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Irish. He's Irish. Yes, well... And he doesn't listen to directions because the same cop has to give him directions twice during his fortuosity song. Mm -hmm. And once he's actually standing right in front of the house, just across the street. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I I can't even with this movie. And I'm using words that my youth use. I can't even. Yeah. (sighs) Well, then he like goes into the house and... You know, I think there's chunks of this movie that I've just blocked from my memory. Um, he kind of acts, he's there to interview to be the new butler. Um, and somehow he kind of accidentally gets hired. Yeah, that that was, I have that down in my notes. The fact that he gets put to work before he even officially gets interviewed for the job. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until the wife comes home. And starts, and I think she gets a call from the people that recommended him. And then she's like, oh, yes, I think he'll work out fine. I'm like, well, yeah, obviously he's going to be working out fine because he's been working for you for free for the whole day. And <laughs> and no one's noticed. He's just yes. there. Um, but that doesn't happen until after we find that the house is full of alligators for some reason. Well, and... okay, I'm going to stop you right there. That's my first I don't even know why I said that's my first issue with this movie. (laughs) There are so many issues with this movie. He captures 12 alligators with a party of Seminole Indians. But we don't have a content warning. No. And, like, why? Like, there's, I mean, there's a couple parts later in the movie that are kind of funny that involve the alligators. But, like, the whole movie could have done without them. It's just like, oh, he's... I guess it's to, like, show us that he's eccentric. Um, But when we first meet Mr. Biddle, that's his name, he's, like, running around the house upset that nobody is upset that he 
has a minor injury. He's like, where's my wife? Where's my daughter? Why isn't anyone mad that my finger is bleeding? But why was his finger bleeding? Because he got bit by an alligator. There's your first indication that... Well, actually, your first indication this movie is off the rails is when Mr. Lawless starts singing to you as soon as you first see him. Yes. About fortuosity. Then we have Biddle talking about his fingers bleeding, he's going to die, nobody cares about him, where's his wife, where's his kids, where's his daughter, who are you, oh, well, get to work, give me this, give me that, go go wrangle the alligator. <sighs> and so, meanwhile, Aunt Mary, who, I'm not sure whose aunt she is, but anyways, Aunt Mary is there, and he's, like, whining about getting bitten and this is, like, probably the best line in the entire movie. Anyone who keeps an alligator in the house should expect to be bit and deserves it. And somehow I missed that line. That, that would have, that, yeah. He, he deserves it. And so then we finally get to the phone call that you mentioned where she's, like, talking to the, like, agency that was sending him to be interviewed. And while that phone call is happening, they're singing again outside of, whatever room she's in about him being Irish about lawless being Irish, which I, I thought, well, at least they're like celebrating his heritage and not like trying to squash it out of him. Yeah. And we've actually got the, one of the lines that I wrote down was being an American is adding something, not subtract, but I'm going to rewind this movie. Not that we really need to rewind this movie because we're, (laughs) delaying the inevitable um was there literally a chocolate cake diet in the 19 teens and why is that not like an eccentric diet that you hear about nowadays oh i'm sure there are people who are on chocolate cake diets right now um i would be (laughs) uh but hashtag goals um i mean oh god uh, Unless we, I don't, chocolate cake's not my favorite. I would eat just cake. But, um, yeah, I wrote chocolate cake diet down, too. Because, like, why? And when we first meet Mr. Biddle, he is running around with a sweatshirt that is proclaiming the Biddle Bible class. Yeah, I wrote... That never gets explained at all during the movie. Because, the from what I take it, the Biddle Bible class... Is his boxing club. Yes. Like, so I I did write, I made a note about him wearing the weird sweat sweater. And then um, his daughter comes in and she's wearing it. And I don't remember if the brothers are, they might yes, be. But like, you know, the brothers again. Um, but yeah, it's the boxing club. And they're like, as they're kind of shadow boxing, they're like singing worship hymns or something. Which... You know, later in the movie, this turns out to be, like, his little militia or whatever. Like, that's the thing. Like, he's... Mr. Biddle is desperate for the United States to go to war. Like, he wants to go to war so bad. And this was World War One because this was the 19... I think it said 1916 somewhere. Mm-hmm. Let me look, look back in the... Yes, in the autumn of 1916. So we're a full year before... A U.S. entered World War One, And he's just like, he can't wait. Like, that's kind of gross about this whole thing. It's like, we know how bad that was. 
now. Yes, yes. Look, looking back on it, it was not a good thing to be lobbying your local congressman and senator to, yes, let's go and help out the jolly old English and everyone else that's... Yeah, it's I, just... And I can't even finish the statement, just because it's... I don't want to get canceled on my own show. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I think in my notes I skip ahead a little bit. I'm like, he at some point they mention that he's now giving military training. Oh, I think it's when the daughter like goes to college. Um, yes. And she's reading a letter from from dad, and like tells her roommate, oh, he's giving military training to the Bible classes, and now they're called the Philadelphia Corps. C-O-R-P-S, I'm guessing. Yeah, and see, this is where the movie kind of splits in two, and it really becomes, for lack of a better term, bipolar, because it's you get a little bit with the daughter, whose name is Cordy, and then you jump back to the dad, and then you jump back to Cordy, and then you jump back to the dad, and then at the very end, they're brought back together. And honestly, I would have much rather followed Cordy and John Davidson. Angie. Their... Angie. Angie, yes. Whatever his name is. They call him Angie several times. Yes. John <laughs> Davidson from That's Incredible Fame, for those of us who are actually old enough to remember barely the, his one TV show that got him on. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, all right, I've been looking for him because I saw him in the credits. There he is. All right, here's the guy. Um, yeah, we got, I, when we first see her at, is it college or finishing school that she went off to? I thought it was college, but okay. maybe not. I don't know. Like, yeah, let's just go with college. Who knows? Okay. She is with a blonde who, shall we say, is a little bit more knowledgeable in the ways of the world. Because they sing a five minutes song about by Yum Pum Pum. Because <laughs> Cordy asks for flirting lessons. Because they're like going to go to a dance and, and she wants to know how to flirt with the boys. And then like the roommate, whose name I don't even remember, is like, well, we actually I don't think we see her again after this scene. But she's like... Uh, telling her not to be enthusiastic, just kind of like be above everything. And, but then she does this very enthusiastic dance. Yeah. And then we cut from that to the dance where she actually meets John Davidson. And it's because she's out in the hall by herself doing this energetic dance by herself, Mm -hmm. (laughs) trying to get up the gumption to go into the party. And she yeah. runs into him, and then sparks fly without sparks flying. Yes, I, there's no chemistry. But there's even less chemistry with the two boys that she gets introduced to. Yeah. <laughs> because they both basically bow out to go wash their hair, for lack of a better term. And So then they sing another five-minute song about falling in love. Yes, and the first kiss is while they are looking at a Rolls Rolls Royce, take three, Rolls Royce Silver Ghost. And that kiss was, I don't think it was consensual to start with. Yeah, I guess it got there, but it was like. Well, yeah, because she ended up saying that he's her 
Never mind. We're we're jumping ahead to a part that does not matter. <laughs> there's there's so many parts that don't matter. <laughs> But, like, okay, I have some notes about this scene. Like, first of all, their song lasts forever. Um, But what song in this movie doesn't last forever? True. Once again, if we were to cut the songs by a third, we'd have an hour and 50-minute tight movie. Well, I still don't know how tight it would be, but... (laughs) Yeah. Well, so they, they sing too long. Um, oh, at one point he notices, like, because she's, like, shivering. She's cold because they're outside. And he's like, are you cold? And she's just like, yeah. And he says, do you want me to go get your coat? And I thought, no, why wouldn't you take off your coat and put it over her shoulders like a real man? But then he keeps going on about the Rolls Royce. And then somehow that's romantic enough that they end up smooching. And, and then we jump back to Mr. Biddle. Yes, and it's around some holiday, and he's got three Marines that somehow show up at his party, and then he somehow manages to knock down the best Marine fighter in a round with everybody else watching. And and why? Like, he wants to be a Marine so bad. He's just, like, itching to go to war. Yeah. Um... It was at this point I wrote um, the Butler side plot was pointless. He's barely been in the movie since the first, like, ten minutes. Why did we spend so much time on him? Yeah, I I really don't understand why they picked the Butler, who happens to be a knighted British person. He's actually been knighted, obviously not for this movie, but from all of his other things that he's done. But, yeah, if we would have cut out all the lawless stuff, and pardon the pun, because there are some things in this movie that are very lawless, the the movie would have been a whole lot tighter in that aspect. But it's like they brought him in to introduce the Biddles, and then they just throw us the Biddles... And then, yeah. oh yeah, by the way, the butler's still here and he's still doing his job. Yeah. Oh, but I mean, le- but let's go back to Cordy, already in progress. Yeah. He does come back a little later in the movie, I guess, and, and does some important things, I get like, to move the plot forward. Yeah. But, like, it's a slog between, yeah. between his appearances. Um, I did, like, write another quote down from the whole thing of, um, like, wanting to be a Marine and he's like trying to get his like Bible class training. And um, then they go to boxing. And again, I think it's aunt Mary who is like spitting fire says uh, there's nothing so dangerous as an inspired amateur. <laughs> I was, I wrote it down because it was like, man, that's so relevant to so many things, especially today. See, now I would have much rather lawless moved in with aunt Mary. I'm sure she would have been a great movie. Yes, I agree. Uh, if we if we would have even got a little more with her, it would have been worth it. Because like she does have like a fun scene later on, like much later on, where she's like trading barbs with uh, Angie's mom. Angie's mom. That that scene was fun, but we're not quite there yet. There's still a lot of movies. No, I, I think we still got about six hours before we get there. Yeah. <laughs> we may have to speed up our conversation a little bit. Okay. Um, 
Then we cut back to Cordy, already in progress. Mm-hmm. And her and Angie are out driving the car. And the Detroit song lasts so long that they go through three outfit, outfit changes. I didn't catch the outfit changes, but like I said, I think I've like blocked some parts of this from my memory. <laughs> I mean, I literally, I rewound the movie. I was like, wait, that wasn't what she was wearing, and that wasn't what he was wearing when they started this song. And then the car breaks down, probably overlooking one of the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. And they just decide to keep singing. Just keep singing. Just, just keep singing. That'll keep everything okay. Mm-hmm. And... Did we ever actually see her get proposed to? Or is it just implied that somewhere in the 38-month trip from (laughs) the college back home that he just got down on one knee one night? I I don't think we see it. Um, Let's see. Well, we haven't even got to the part where he's... Does she come home engaged? I think she comes home engaged. Yes. Not until after intermission. Wait, that... uh... Actually, no, it was it was before the intermission that she came home engaged. But they, I don't think they met him until... No, yeah, later. yeah, because cause I'm, like, I'm looking at my copious notes on this wonderful movie <laughs> that we recommend that everyone does not go out and watch. Don't. Unless, Maybe. unless you need something to go to sleep to, which you could probably do as long as you keep it down soft because there's a lot of singing in it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so she gets home after Detroit, which was the name of the song that I actually wrote down, and she comes in, and her and her dad have a big fight. And the alligators are out? Yeah, no, the alligators are frozen at that point in time, in the pools, which was a point that I actually put down. How cold does it have to be to have three rock solid baths in an afternoon because you know mr biddle does he probably checks in on the alligators two three times a day yeah if you're any kind of a pet owner which i'm going to say the alligators are his quote-unquote pets you would check in to make sure that they're okay but it looks like he went out to a dinner party comes back that night finds out that cordy's missing because she never checked in at the finishing school slash college slash whatever, because yes, she's been out driving with John Davidson for the last four months. <laughs> and all along they've been singing Detroit, and somehow the alligators' baths are frozen solid. Why wouldn't you be heating that room, first of all? Or why wouldn't you be heating the baths? Even if you don't heat the room, if you heat the baths. Or yeah. why would you have a dozen alligators in Philadelphia in your house? Because <sighs> that's what proper upstanding people to do. So that way, when one of them dies, you have an alligator clutch. Oh, I didn't say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. we're, we're, I'm opening up the cancel culture with this, with this movie. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yes. <laughs> Mr. Biddle, I forgot his first name even. Tony. It doesn't matter. Biddle and Cordy, like, get into an argument or whatever. This is where I wrote the the whole, like, the summary of the movie that makes the most sense is that there's an eccentric, rich white guy who wants to go to war. And he has a problem with his daughter growing up. And that's that's the whole movie. 
pretty much. I mean, he comes around, but... Yes, and instead we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine paragraphs for a two-hour and 49-minute movie, which we've had two-hour movies that have maybe one paragraph. So <sighs> elevators are frozen, and then they, like, reanimate because they get warmed up somehow and chase the help through the house, which that part was kind of funny, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, then, because sometime during that portion, there was a new housemaid that was hired that somehow they forgot to tell there were alligators. But I think she was the same one that left the windows open <laughs> in the room. So how could you have not seen the alligators that were all in the pool? Right. And then we get Fortuosity reprise. Yes, and it is then that... Mr. Biddle actually calls John out for talking to no one. And then, congratulations, you've made it to intermission. You've only got three hours left. Go and get you another drink. (laughs) No, go to Taco Bell. Get out of the house. Yes. Um, So, I've got one final note before the intermission. Where did Lasso, yeah, where did Lawless learn how to throw a lasso? This is not um, Bullwhip Griffin, because when he wrangles up the big alligator, whatever her name is, he threw a perfect lasso and got it over her neck and basically drug her back to her swimming pool. I think this is one of the things that I just don't remember. Well, and it's also something that you blink and you miss it because, I mean, he throws it and it's over her. And I'm like, was that part of finishing school in Ireland that doesn't... And, and, and Once again, I just can't. Maybe he grew up on a farm, but we never find out. No. That might have been an even better movie than this one. The backstory on why Lawless came to America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need a Lawless or, or, origin? origin story. An orange lawless theater story. Wait, what? Oh my goodness. So then we come back from from intermission and like Angie's there to meet the parents. And for some reason, Cordy is like, I need you to pick a fight with my dad. That, that was. Why? I mean, why? And what good is that going to do? So she. She tells him to pick a fight with dad, which he then does. And then dad's like, oh, yeah, let's box. And so then they're boxing. And then she's upset because this thing has happened as a result of what she told Angie to do. Yeah. And so he's God bless John Davidson for this, because he tries several different ways to pick a fight. I mean, he tells them that wine is supposed to go to your head. There were several other things that were actually said, but the bridge that was too far is insulting boxing. And little does Tony know, but Angie is a early adopter of, Braz- of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mm-hmm. and he promptly gets his butt handed to him. And then he's several like, times. Right? Yes. So like, he's like, "Can me? you teach me this?" I'm like, "Oh gosh, yeah." That and from there the movie, if it hasn't already, goes precipitously off a cliff. Mm-hmm. One thing that I noticed that I never 
put together until after intermission. Everybody is actually driving on the right side of the car. Oh, I didn't. I paid no attention to that at all. Don't we drive? Don't we get in on the left side of the car? Yeah. Was it different in 1916? I don't know. I'm hoping somebody out there is an early kind of is a connoisseur of early American motor cars and can tell us when the transition from right-handed driving to left-handed driving started. And of course, you can write in to bekindrewinddmp at gmail.com or just leave a message on the feed of whatever you're listening to this on. So, yeah. Well, then we meet Angie's mom, and she's um, a monster-in-law. She's very clingy to her son. Um, I don't have much to say about that. It was just she's obnoxious. I've got one. I've got one thing to ask about Angie's or his whole family. If they are from Ozark, Missouri, which it is revealed later on in the movie that they're from there. Why are they living in New York? Are they too good to live in Ozark, Missouri because they've actually got money? Or are they distant relatives of Jason Bateman from Ozark? Or <laughs> Oh, man. What a connection that would be. Yes. Um. Yeah, I don't know. But, like... I, and, I... and I started listening to his mom's accent before it was actually described where they were from. And I was like... Where did she get the accent from if she's from New York? Oh, wait. She's, she's from, from Buckus, Missouri. But she's, like, super wealthy, and she acts like she thinks she's better than everyone, um, even people who are as wealthy as she is. Um, she's very, like, hostile, but, like, I don't know. It's kind of hostile in a sneaky way towards Cordy. And then convinces Angie to, like, abandon his Detroit dreams and, like, make this major decision that will affect Cordy's life. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't even tell her. They're in there about to get married. Until the day before they're supposed to get married. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and I had read, I had read through the synopsis, so I was prepared for what was going to happen. And I'm like, okay, where is all this happening? Because I've still got two paragraphs left in the in the synopsis, and I've got, oh, an hour left in the movie. Never mind. we we got plenty of time. So Angie decides that after Cordy breaks off the wedding with him because she's not moving back to Ozark because she's not going to get involved in the parents' business, whatever that is. I think it was tobacco. Tobacco, meth. What 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 is it in Ozark? What are they, what are they smuggling? What kind of? I don't even have it in my notes. That's disappointing. See, that that shows you how important that is, that is to this plot. Anyway, regardless of what they're distributing, that they have a place in New York and they have a place in Missouri where the production, distribution, everything like that is from. I don't even know where I was going with that. But, so after they break off the wedding, he goes to a bar. And if we rewind back to when he met the Biddles, he said he didn't drink. Mm-hmm. And now we find out why he doesn't drink. Because he can't hold his beer or his liquor or anything close to it. 
He's a lightweight. Um, In every sense of the word, he's a lightweight. Yeah. So, like, Biddle told Lawless, this is, like, the most pivotal thing that John Lawless does besides <laughs> introduce us to some stupid word that he made up. Is that <laughs> Biddle, like, it's like, you better follow him and keep him out of trouble or whatever. And so he follows him to the bar, and then, but then he, like, kind of encourages him to drink. Yeah, he he keeps ordering round after round after round, and it's stout, because that's what all the good Irish men drink is Guinness and stout. Mm-hmm. And Angie drinks half of it. Somehow Biddle, or somehow um, Lawless pours his whole glass into Angie's glass, forces him to drink that orders another round. I mean, by the end of this, he's had probably seven or eight rounds of stout in a 10-minute song. That's what we should have done at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> well, if I, if I would have realized that there that there was so much singing, it would have made... It, it probably would have made for a very good drinking game. Oh, yeah. To drink every time that you either hear Fortuosity... Or that someone breaks out into a song. Oh, man. You'd be drunk in the first half hour. Yeah. So they are in the bar, like, forever. I wrote, um, I looked down to reply to a text, and ten minutes later, we're still in the bar. (laughs) Yeah, that that bar scene went way too long. Yeah. Like, many. There's, like, some kind of fight breaks out, um, and then they end up in jail. Yeah, so after Angie has had his fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, we lost track of how many stouts he's had during the song. Well, this is what I'm going to do. No, that won't work. This is what I'm going to do. No, that won't work out. And if it weren't for the fact that that song was 23 minutes long, that might actually be the outro to this episode. But I'm not going to subject our dear listeners to that. I feel bad that they're listening. Even I mean, I'm glad they're listening to this podcast, but like, I'm so sorry. Um, but once again, it goes back to the fact that the bad movies are more fun to cover than the good movies because you have so much fun picking them apart. Yeah, that's true. So, so like, after 24 hours in this bar, um, we cut back to 40 in progress. And um, she's she's broken off her engagement and called off her wedding the day before and then like or two days before, whatever. But then she reverts to her childish ways like she she walks in in her stupid like Bible class sweater and is acting like the same little girl that she was at the beginning of the movie and acting like nothing happened. And that's when I realized there is not one single likable character in this movie, save for Aunt Mary, who's hilarious. I could actually go for that. I mean, the, well, the maid who was also in Mary Poppins and also in Bullwhip Taylor. Griffin. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize that I messed that up. Thank you. <laughs> she, the, the fact that she actually keeps this this whole house running during this entire debacle just i mean there are so many better stories that could have been 
the happiest millionaire than what we've got. In fact, Bullwhip Griffin 2 would have been a whole lot better movie than this one. Yeah. I think at the beginning of our recording, I said that I would rather watch this than those Callaways. But now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> I, might, I might watch those Callaways again before I watch this. But would you watch the 13 second version of those Callaways? For sure. <laughs> That's the only okay. version that matters at this point. Yes. Um, All right. Um, I've got one thing to one thing to say before we before we get to Angie in jail already in progress. Okay. Actually, a couple of things. Did you notice the sign that the bartender pulls down when the bar fight breaks out? Uh huh. Twenty four hour dentistry. <laughs> nice. Yes, and of course John Lawless has to lie to the cops about what actually happened to keep himself out of jail, so that way he can go home and tell everybody the bad news that Angie's in jail and Angie somehow gets a private cell. While everyone else in the bar is like kind of in the drunk tank together. Yeah. But isn't he drunk as well? Yeah. So why isn't he in there with the 53, 54, 59 people that he fought during the, during the brawl? Fortuosity. Oh God, Lord. Drink. (laughs) That's the only explanation. <laughs> oh, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my so gosh. Um, is like he goes home and is like, oh no, Angie's in jail, and um, I guess Biddle is like, well, we better go take care of this. So then he goes to try to talk some sense into the young man, I guess, um, and then. Cordy shows up for some reason, and he yeah. talks them into eloping. Cordy and Angie's mom shows up along with Biddle. Mm-hmm. And one of my and my second to last note on here is: Did Angie just kidnap Cordy to elope as he carried her upstairs? So the funny thing is, like that Biddle is like, "Don't ask her. You're going to tell her that this is what you're going to do, and she's going to like it." And that's exactly what happens. He's like, nope, we're doing this. And then he, like, picks her up and throws her over his shoulder. And she goes from, like, adamant that they're not eloping to thrilled about it for some reason. Yeah, this is, this, that scene right there was one of the weirdest. No, I'm not. Oh, goody, let's go. I'm like, I don't know of a single woman in her right mind. Or possibly in her wrong mind, that would flip like that. Yeah, not that fast. I mean, yeah, you still love him, but I wouldn't run off to get married right that right at that very time. So at this point in the movie, this is actually where the initial movie ended. Well, no, actually, I take that back. He comes back home, and they sing the saddest song of the movie. About empty nest, empty nesters. Yes. And that is actually where the initial movie stops. Oh, that's a downer. Yeah, because the, and and once again, this is coming directly from Wikipedia, so it can't be a lie. <laughs> I'm going to read exactly what it says for the last paragraph and a half. End of the first one. Actually, let me go back to actually Wikipedia. All right. It says, 
Angie throws Cordy over his shoulder and carries her out of the jail to start their new life together. Longer version. After Mr. and Miss, Mrs. Biddle return home, a delegation of Marines arrive to inform him he has been made a provisional captain in the Marine Corps and is immediately wanted to go to Paris Island to, pre- to begin training the troops. Now that America is finally entering the war, Biddle accepts with delight and the hearty congratulations of his suddenly appearing boxing club class shows up. A car with two people, presumably Cordy and Angie, drives towards the skyline, presumably Detroit, dominated by factories clouding the sunset as the movie goes off the air. (laughs) So when they got home, before they started singing the song, the saddest song in Disney history, there is still 23 minutes left in this movie. Yeah. And I'm like, what are they going to do to fill 23 minutes? Well, of course you have to have a 10 minute song. Yeah. Well, he's like, he gets to be a Marine. He's a little bit too happy about going to war. Um, that's weird. And then, yeah, the, like a couple Marines and the, like Bible boxing guys show up and sing for half an hour that like the same three or four words over and over. Let's have a drink on it. Heidi, hoody, Heidi, hoody. What? Yo, (laughs) (laughs) no. All right. My last note on this movie that I had to break up into two parts because it is two hours and 49 minutes. And I don't think I actually broke it up at the intermission was who was the title character? Who is the actual happiest millionaire? Or is that whole title just a misnomer to make you sit down and think about yourself? Well, I mean, okay, I don't, we haven't mentioned this yet, but um, this movie is based on a true story. Um, of John Lawless? Fred McMurray. No, wait. Fred McMurray is the star of this movie. I'm sorry. My brain. Is <laughs> I was about to say, this is, the, this is the amazing true story of Fred McMurray. <laughs> wow. Listen, <laughs> my name is Angie and I've had half a stout. I'm going to try to talk through this now. Um, hey, why do you think I've been drinking during this entire review? It's Bid- that bad. Biddle is his name. Okay, it's based on the true story of Philadelphia millionaire Anthony Drexel Biddle. Like, his real-life daughter, Cordy, wrote this book or whatever. So, like, apparently all of this really happened, except for maybe the dumb songs. But um, I guess Biddle is the happiest millionaire, but I don't know. This wasn't a happy movie. No, it wasn't. And, and, And I kept watching, well, mainly because we do the review, so that way you can tell if you have, if you want to watch this movie. Or if you just want to listen to this on repeat for two times, and it'll probably be about the same length as the movie. But definitely more entertaining. Yes, definitely more entertaining. The only part that might be entertaining, of course, is to see the Detroit scene and actually see the the seasons change while they are singing their song. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, the 25-minute bar scene, which my one note that I skipped over is, how did Angie actually drink a full second glass when he could only drink half of the first? Again. If he's he's such a lightweight. Fortuosity. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that. (laughs) We can't get away from it now. Um, I have, I wrote that uh, the only enjoyable scene 
I thought was, uh, and I think I mentioned this, where Aunt Mary and Mrs. Duke, um, Angie's mom, like sing insults back and forth at each other while <laughs> John Lawless is like trying to feed them, like trying to use food as a distraction from their insults or whatever. That was funny. And it was the only time through the entire movie that I felt um, a little bit entertained. Yeah. So that was after the intermission. So we're probably two hours into the movie at this point in time. Yeah. Well, now, actually, one other spot that might be funny or that might be entertaining to people is to actually see the Bayum Pum Pum song and dance. <laughs> but it's entertaining for the raw, like not that wasn't their intent when they made this movie. Yeah, well, I mean they they can't all be Mary Poppins. No, for sure. All right. Did we leave out any notes that you had? I don't think so. I had one other thing that kind of got me thinking. Back when I was in college, I used to smoke cigars. Little known fact: when I saw Fred McMurray pick up. A green cigar and light it. I was like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> because there is a reason that cigars are brown. I mean, unless he wanted to light up a fresh piece of maybe spinach. <laughs> you... It's because he's so eccentric. I guess that. So apparently, so what you said is the daughter wrote this wonderful book that this mm -hmm. movie was based on? I think that's, I think, yeah. Uh, the name of the book is... Uh, How to Get Away Without Dying in Boston. <laughs> My Philadelphia Father. Um, so she wrote the book, they made it into a stage production, like a play, and then they made it into this wonderful movie. And we use wonderful in the colloquial version, although I think I would actually much rather have watched The Happiest Millionaire, the album, which is Count Basie actually performing the songs from this movie. Is that real? Yes. Huh. Including such hits as Detroit by Yum Pum Pum, <laughs> Let's Have a Drink on It, and everyone's favorite, Fortuosity. Whew. Yeah, no. So, did any of the children walk in and ask, Mom, what are you watching? No, I actually watched this when I was home alone. Um, and I probably will never watch it again, so they'll never know about it. Except for me saying, oh, this movie that I watched, don't watch it. So, this, so ladies and gentlemen, there's your review. It's, I don't even know how to describe it. It was a movie that was made by Walt Disney. It was released in 1967. Walt Disney died during the production of this movie. The end. Yeah. It, and there was a tear by it, one lone Italian standing wearing Indian garb on the highway as a single piece of trash is thrown at him. Wait, what? <laughs> I veered far to the left on that. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Okay, we're we're tangenting off to happier things. The whole you probably aren't even old enough to remember the recycling phase of the late seventies, early eighties. Mm -mm. There was a commercial or actually it was a PSA with a 
Italian American playing a indigenous person. Oh, gross. And someone throws a piece of trash out and it falls at his feet and he cries a single tear. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> wow. I think that is actually happier than this movie. Yeah, I mean, this movie didn't have any, like, negative cultural depictions or brown face or anything. So it had that going mm-hmm. for it. But it was incredibly white, because of course it was. <laughs> um, yes, the movie was very waspy, for yeah. lack of a better term. I mean, I I didn't take notes or really notice this, but I don't remember a single non-white person in the entire movie. Oh, well. So, yeah. I We won't watch this again. I'm actually... I'm reading on Wikipedia about Walt Disney... Walt, Walt Disney. <laughs> Walt Disney acquiring the rights to... This was actually made into a play as well, which yeah. is even more confusing. And the guy that actually did Mary Poppins, My Fair Lady... No, I'm, I'm misreading that. That would have been even better. It says, after the box office successes of Mary Poppins, My Fair Lady, and The Sound of Music, the first of which he produced, the original producer, Bill Walsh, decided to make the film into a musical. However, he got reassigned to next week's movie, Blackbeard's Ghost. I'm wondering how this movie would have turned out if we would have had a Bill Walsh production. I'm wondering how it would have turned out if they would have, uh, the Sherman Brothers would have gotten Rex Harrison to play... Anthony Biddle, because he was great in My Fair Lady. That's really all I know him from. I know he had more things going on than that, but I love him in that movie. And so now that I know that that was a possibility, I'm like, why why didn't they use him? Because he would have been great. It, who knows yeah. what the movie would have been like. Maybe it would have still been horrible, but I think he would have been more fun to watch. Yeah, I think I think it would have been more fun if Rex Harrison would have been Fred McMurray's role, but of course he was off shooting Doctor Doolittle, mm-hmm. which is I think that's another musical, isn't it? During this time, um, it came out in '67, and it is a musical. Yes. Okay. So instead, they got the other Disney darling, Fred McMurray, which has done a couple of other Disney movies. But yeah, if Bill Walsh would have produced it, I think it would have been a whole lot different movie. But, of course, then we wouldn't have Blackbeard's Ghost, probably. Or that one wouldn't have been the wonderful splendor that it was. And you can hear about that one next week. <sighs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and knock out the three questions real quick, because I know there's absolutely no impact from today on this movie. None. Other than the fact that we wouldn't be talking about going off to war and being so happy about it. Yeah. Um... Is it mirrored in culture? No. No. How does it fit in today's society? Um, I mean, God, this sounds more political than I mean for it, too. But, like, there's still a lot of rich white men who can't wait to go to war. The views of Kyra Hawkins are not exactly... (laughs) (laughs) You can cut that in post. No, hey, hey. I, I, I understand what you're saying, that emoji where his teeth is just like the face with all the teeth. That's the face that I'm making. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, you're fine. That Once again, that's not that particular statement, but that's why we do this. Because it, 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 it brings a little bit of levity to a movie that 
pretty much ends on a down note with the exception of Biddle going off to war. And then we don't ever see him again, so... Yeah, well, and going off to war is also kind of a downer. Like, World War One was not a vibe. No, World War One was definitely not a fun, fun, happy time for anybody. Yeah, like, I wonder if he, like, got over to Paris Island and, like, got slapped in the face by reality. Like, hey, yeah. this is not fun, sir, but that would require a sequel and I, we don't want that. No, there, there are many other movies that are much more sequel driven. All right. I don't really know where to go with this. This movie was, we will, neither of us will be watching this again. In fact, if it weren't for the fact, I'm thinking that the only reason why it is on Disney plus is because it was the last movie that Walt Disney was involved in. Mm hmm. Or else it probably would have ended up being cut like so many other movies that I was kind of looking forward to when I saw them on the list. Like um, Lieutenant Robin, Robin Crusoe and uh, Son of Lubber. But we are not here to mourn what is and is not on Disney+. Plus. Oh, we're mourning that this is there for sure. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I just I keep thinking like, well, that's all I have to say about that. That's all I got to say about that. There's nothing left. I got no love in my heart for <laughs> Happiest Millionaire. <laughs> all right. Well, then with that, we will go ahead and wrap this one up, tie it, tie a bow in it, and throw it in the Delaware River. Yep. And we will move on to happier movies, which next week's episode is going to be a much happier movie than this one. At least, in my opinion, it might not be yours, but we'll discuss that later. Your homework is Blackbeard's Ghost. Yes, it is on Disney+, Plus, of course, or else we wouldn't be mentioning it. Um, it's a whole lot shorter movie than this one. You can actually sit down and watch it in one sitting. I think it's like an hour and 40, maybe an hour and 45, somewhere around there. So, until we talk again, well, first of all, Thanks for putting up with us for an hour and however long this was. The discussion was a whole lot more fun than the movie actually was. Yes. Although we did find a couple of noteworthy parts that you could probably go out to YouTube and find and save yourself two hours and probably, what, 30 minutes? Yeah, something like that. And we might actually put a couple of links in the show notes if you are interested in the Aunt Mary, Angie's mom, because that one is definitely a fun back and forth between two dames from the upper class. All right. Well, until next week, it's time to make Kyra laugh, and she's already starting. Stay safe, stay hungry, and stay out of the pond with the... I can't even finish it. That's how bad this movie was. <laughs> <laughs> stay out of the wading pools with the alligators, y'all. <laughs> And good night. Good night. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you for listening. You can send us feedback at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. We welcome any kind of feedback, and it might get read on the air in a future podcast. Once again, the email address is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast on whatever streaming service you are listening to us on. This and word of mouth are the two ways to help us reach a larger audience.
Thank you in advance for doing this. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Goodbye. It's like I said.